Are you looking for your next wine challenge? Do you want to taste more than 300 wines in four days? How about joining a community of passionate, qualified Italian wine specialists and gaining one of the most coveted qualifications in the wine world? Apply now to the Vinitaly International Academy and you'll have all this at your fingertips. Pedro Ballesteros, Master of Wine, says VIA is the only Italian wine program that delivers high-quality training and serious exams. More details on our website www.vinitalinternational.com Italian Wine Podcast Cin Cin with Italian Wine People Hello and welcome to the Italian Wine Podcast. My name is Arthur Wooden and my guest today is my dad, Monty Wooden. This is a special broadcast for the third birthday of the Italian Wine Podcast. Please remember to subscribe to the show wherever you get to your podcast. And if you notice that Italian Wine Podcast is not offered on your preferred podcast player, let us know so we can fix it. So, my first question is this. Your real name is Matthew. So why do people call you Monty? So when I went to um, my first, uh, went to a state school, a day school, uh, which where my dad, David, um, taught. And after a few years, my parents sent me to a boarding school where you sleep overnight and stay there all the time, basically called Twyford, which is very close to our house, about a couple of miles away. And um, we had a history teacher there, a guy called David Barclay, who um, was an Oxford graduate in English, and he just taught history for us for maybe a year or two. Really nice guy. And he was really into Monty Python. He had, in those days, you didn't have CDs or um, iPods and things. You had um, uh, gramophone records. And um, Monty Python's Flying Circus was a sort of comedy team, uh, sort of alternative, almost surreal kind of comedy group. Um, Very, very funny. And they had some sort of fantastic sketches that um, I learned virtually all of them off by heart. Um, for example, someone goes into a cheese shop and sort of names every single cheese under the sun, but of course the cheese shop seller doesn't have any cheese at all. Uh, it sounds a bit stupid, but if you listen to the sketches, it's, it's very, very funny. Um, and um, when I went to my next school, which was another boarding school called B-Dales, which was also not far from our family home, about half an hour's drive away with boys and girls there, and you could wear your your own clothes you didn't if you want to wear jeans and stuff you could the first prep school was a bit sort of uptight uh, well, it was a very nice school but you had to wear a uniform and it was chapel twice a day and anyway when I get to the second school Bedales, my because my initial is M M Walden um, the only thing that people knew about me was my first name began with an M and I like Monty Python because I could recite all these um, sketches off by heart and make people laugh and somebody one day just thought I was called Monty and they called me Monty and before I could sort of say no no actually my name is Matthew um, Monty stuck and that was it and so now when I write books and stuff or do TV or radio or even this podcast um, I call myself Monty and I'm quite happy about that okay so next question how many interviews have you recorded for the Italian Wine podcast and who has and who was your favorite interviewee uh, we've done about 300 I think um, and I don't have a favorite interviewee Um, as you're probably going to guess. Um, I just enjoy... I love chatting to people, and I hope that sort of comes through in the podcast. 
um, whether they're wine producers or marketeers or onologists, um, whoever. Um, I'm just really curious about people in general. I think that's probably why I became a journalist. I think that's why most people who are journalists become journalists. They're interested in um, personal stories and sort of what goes on behind the scenes. Um, and having worked in vineyards and, um, and wineries and various other places, I kind of feel I have some kind of rapport and empathy with um, winemakers. It's not easy making wine, particularly at the moment with, with um, climate change and things like that. Um, and I've studied history, so I'm sort of fascinated about the history of, you know, why is your label, design, why is your label designed like this, or um, what the family history is, or the history of the land. You know, maybe somebody bought the land from somebody, and he or she bought the land from somebody else, or it was inherited. Um, I love all that because all that it's just all part of the jigsaw. And um, I think really to fully understand wine, um, the more you know um, about the people, the place, and the story behind the wine, the more. Um, enjoyment I think you'll get ultimately it's not a question of just breaking the wine down into its constituent parts alcohol pH all that sort of stuff Um, I see sort of wine as a social as a social thing as a social good almost um, in terms of particularly um, sort of looking after the land um, and which is obviously part of community Um, it's 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 bigger than just the wine is bigger than just the wine if if we can say it like that and um, so when you can actually sit down and talk to people um, and find out their, their personal stories. Um, you're basically getting paid to have fun and learn, which is, um, which is not a bad way to earn a living as a freelancer. So how did you get into Italian wine? Why didn't you specialise in wines from other, some other countries? Uh, how did I get into Italian wine? Well, uh, long and the short, I'd um, written a few books on uh, wine, on organic wine, and a publisher who I'd worked with um, had been asked to do a couple of travel guides, one of which was going to be on Bordeaux and one of which was going to be on Tuscany. So I did the Bordeaux book for them, because um, obviously I'd lived there for quite a long time when I was younger, learning about winemaking. And um, a lady called Hilary Lumsden, who was the publisher, and she, uh, um, she said, do you want to do one on Tuscany? And I said, well, I don't really speak a lot of Italian. And she said, well, no, you'll be all right. You just go over there and learn. You, know, you speak French, not too difficult. And she convinced me to go. And um, I had a friend in, uh, in Tuscany, a guy called Hans Winding Deers, who's a Danish chap, and I knew his father from Bordeaux. Um, his father was an expert in yeast and um, I think made some wonderful wines in the Pessac Leonion uh, region of, um, of Bordeaux, or the Grave. And um, very underrated wines, I thought. And um, long and the short, I bumped into him at a tasting in, in London and um, he said, what are you up to? I said, I've got to go to Italy quite soon to to write this book. He said, why don't you come and stay with us? And I said, what do you mean? You live in France? And he said, no, no, I'm living in Italy. Uh, his then partner was Italian and she owned a, um, a Brunello winery. And he said, if you want to come and um, stay with us, it's a massive chateau, whatever it was, then um, you feel free. And uh, so I said, okay. And I came to Italy for a little bit to Siena. I studied Italian for a month. I wasn't a particularly good student, as you probably guessed. And I think we had like, it was a classic kind of Italian thing. There was a couple of bank holidays. So you missed a couple of days there. And then there was a couple of days that the staff were on strike, even though it was a kind of a private school. But it was a great introduction to Italy. And it just prepares you to be prepared for the unexpected. Um, anyway, and having stayed at uh, Argiano, the lady who did the bookkeeping there was a lady called Silvana Carloni. Have you ever heard of her? Yeah. Who's she then? She's my mum. She's your mum. Right, well, so... 
A long story short, uh, I met Silvana, and I don't know how many years later it is, 15 or so years later, we're still together, and we've got you as our offspring. That's right, yeah. And the irony, of course, is um, Silvana doesn't drink alcohol. She, uh, When she was small, about, I think it was five or six or seven years old, there was some sort of family event, a wedding or a christening or something, and um, one of her relations gave her a half a glass or a glass of beer, a small plastic glass, and um, convinced her to drink it. And uh, she was sick as a dog for about, I don't know, three or four days, so she doesn't um, drink. She's got a very good palate when she smells wine. She's very good. She works for a number of wineries locally because she's um, uh, like an accountant, a super accountant, or what's called a commercialista in Italian. But she audits um, wineries um, here to make sure that they're paying the right amount of tax and uh, costing all their income and outgoings and all the rest of it. Um, but she doesn't uh, doesn't drink wine, which is kind of good for me at home. Um, and the only thing she'll do sometimes is stick her finger in, and it's the only thing that you do as well, so far, isn't it? Stick stick your finger in the wine and, yeah. and taste. You're quite good at tasting. I always ask Arthur to give me three flavours, and he's normally spot on. You're very good at um, that tasting, darling. Okay, what's the next question then? How many wines would you say you've tasted in your life? I have no idea. I, I, it's probably thousands, tens of thousands of wines. I don't know. I mean, you can be in a, you know, if you're a judge of a, or I chair a few wine competitions, you, you during a week you're tasting five or six hundred wines sometimes. You have to retaste other wines to make sure that the, the wines that were given medals deserve their medals or the wines that were thrown out of the competition were deservedly thrown out or well, not thrown out but got no no medal or you know not a bronze or a gold or a trophy or anything like that so um but uh i like uh, i love tasting and um, i take it really seriously i know my colleagues do as well um, there's a hell of a lot of work that goes into making a bottle of wine and um the least i think a wine deserves is a fair shout and um, a fair amount of time given to it and even a second chance as well if you're not quite sure the bottle isn't maybe a great bottle for whatever reason cork or whatever you give them a second chance and i think that's perfectly fair um and um i think absolutism is never a is never a great thing in whatever industry that you're in so um but i, love, I do love tasting wine I, I really see it as i really feel when i do it i have a massive responsibility to the people that employ me because um decanter or in italy or whoever it is that um, i'm tasting for five star um, we have such a responsibility to make sure we get things right, but the most important thing is we've got to be consistent when we taste. It's not fair if we're not consistent, and um, and also be open-minded to other people's opinions, um, and don't just think that you should live in your own bubble. I think that's really, really important, but especially when you're like a panel chair, as I often am, um, or a, a chairman or whatever they call it. And um, but I love doing it, and um, you know, if someone says, "What?" Whenever you tell people, well, what, "What do you do for a living?" and you say, "A lot of the time, I'm either writing about or tasting wine." And you know, there's not a single person that doesn't say, oh, what a lovely job, what a fantastic job. And it's hard work. But yeah, it's, um, it's a wonderful, wonderful way to, to earn a living. Okay, next question. How many Italian wines have you tasted? Oh, I don't know, Arthur. I can't, I, it's the same, I, you know, probably now I taste a bit more Italian than I do um, other wines, simply because of the work I do with... Um, Stevie Kim at um, Vanity International with the five-star competition and also with Decanter, where I'm, um, what am I called? Regional chair for the Decanter Wine Awards. There you go. Um, but I do, um, you know, I taste Austrian wines and German wines and, if I'm lucky, California wines and wines from Chile, etc. But, yeah, the main focus for me at the moment is, is, is Italy. Okay. 
Tommy Viss. Go on then. Verdicke or Vermontino? Uh, oh, I haven't really prepared for this one. Obviously, two um, Vermontino sort of a, a sort of a family of um, varieties with different names, um, and the other one, Verdicchio, is um, probably um, Italy's finest white wine grape. I mean, I suppose you could say Vermentino is kind of grown on one side of Italy and Verdicchio is grown on the other side of Italy. Um, I don't really have favourites. Um, I always say my, my, my favourite wine is the last good wine I have with friends. You know, I don't... Um, there's only one grape variety I really don't like, and I know I'm going to get a lot of stick for this, but it's um, Pinotage. I just don't understand Pinotage. It um, was a, gra- a grape crossing created, um, not in a laboratory, but kind of in that sense and um, I just that's the only grape I really have an issue with apart from that I'll drink anything drink anything taste anything open minded but I do struggle with Pinotage I'm sure there are some good ones Um, I haven't found a huge number maybe one or two but um, anyway listen if you did you have South Africa on your holiday list I didn't have South Africa yeah well that's just as well (laughs) because we're never going to get invited there I'm afraid sorry sorry Pinotage um, I will say that South Africa's got, in terms of my organic and biodynamic hat on, are doing some very, very good work on um, on um, environmentally and at the social level as well in terms of um, helping people who have been disadvantaged. And um, obviously a little bit more work to do, but um, they are, there are some fantastic projects there. So I'm not at all negative about South Africa. I'm very positive about South Africa. It's just that one particular grape I struggle with. Sorry. Next question. When you taste wines at a competition... You then write a tasting note. What do you write in those tasting notes? Uh, it depends. If um, if you some some comp- competitions will publish your tasting notes, so um, it's important to write something that's very very coherent and will make sense to the audience that you know will will, will read it. For if I'm writing a tasting note for myself, um, then my tasting note will be slightly different. Um, it will be less explanatorily. I wouldn't have to explain you know, this is a great example of a Sangiovese because blah, blah, blah. Um, I would just put down, you know, nice fruit, well-handled tannin, whatever. I wouldn't go into too many details, but it would just be an aid, aid memoir for me. Um, I do think writing tasty notes are, is important because, um, and you've got to be honest with yourself when you're writing a tasting note. Um, you've got to black out um, what your people on the table are saying. You've got to have your own opinions and stick to them but also be flexible. If you could choose a famous personality to interview on the Italian Wine podcast, who would it be? A singer, an actor or a politician? Ooh, famous people. Um, I would probably rather meet a historic figure um, rather than a sort of celebrity or, I don't know, an actor or whatever, politician. Um... I was born in a house, I wasn't born in a hospital, in Winchester. And Chester in, um, signifies a Roman town, Castrum. And uh, uh, the house I was born in was number 38 Stanmore Lane. And at the bottom of the lane there was a or road, as it became. Um, there was the school, I, one of the first school I went to, the first sort of primary school I went to, called Stanmore Lane School. My dad was a teacher there, so that's your granddad. And anyway, in um, Dad's uh, sister, my auntie, Auntie Jean, um, who was a very beautiful lady, a very lovely lady, and when she was little, she found a Roman coin in the garden. Um, and it was, a, it was a silver coin called a denarius. 
Um, and it was a, a Roman denarius. It dated from 200 to 202 AD. So that coin had been lying in the garden of 38 Stanmore Lane, where I used to sort of play football and have a little tractor and all those sort of things you have when you were a kid, for 17 centuries. So I'd be very happy to know the person whose pocket that fell out of, um, not least because maybe that person, having come from Italy, or what is now Italy, um, had some connection with wine, either drinking it, possibly as a soldier, or as a, I don't know, as a, as a professional, maybe an accountant or something. Um, if he was an accountant, he wasn't very good, because his dropping money is, is probably not the thing that you want to do. But um, I'd like to meet some, somebody like that. And then the other person I'd love to have spent more time with is um, my mum's dad, who was a smallholder, and um, which meant he sort of grew his own food in his uh, very large back garden in Dorset, which is not far from Hampshire. I was born in Hampshire and Winchester, and Dorset is, is the sort of neighbouring county in the south coast of England. And um, he was basically a subsistence farmer. So what he didn't eat or need for himself, he'd either barter, exchange, or he'd sell in the local market. Uh, and that's how he stayed economically self-sufficient. And I don't think it's any coincidence that um, he was a very wiry man, a very strong man, but, but um, thin, very a man of few words. But he lived into his 90s, and um, I just... Okay, it could just be coincidence, but having that really natural lifestyle of spending most of your days outside in the elements, wind, rain, sun, uh, growing your own food, no air miles, no pesticides, no fertilizers, nothing like that. Very, very natural. Enough to feed yourself uh, and enough to, to sell at the local market to local people. A um, little bit of pocket money, pay your bills. Um, and he met my, um, he was very old when I, I only met him once, so I didn't even speak to him, I don't think he was in his armchair. Um, and he was 40, how old was he? He was 44 when my mum was born. No, he wasn't, he was 66, or in his mum, and, and her mum, his wife, Amy, was 44. So mum had very, I mean, she was an accident, she had very old parents, obviously at the time. And Amy, uh, who was the, my grandmother, she worked in service, which meant that she was in a big house in Bournemouth on the coast of, uh, of um, England, um, you know, cleaning the beds and washing stuff and, and cooking and doing that sort of thing. She came from North Yorkshire, or oh, sorry, South Yorkshire, and um, she got away from her family by travelling all the way down south and got that job. And on a Sunday afternoon, she um, cycled 12 miles on her bike. There's no distance in those days. Um because she loved primroses and she ended up in Verwood, which is where my grandfather was living in, in, a, in a house that has now become a bank, unfortunately, got knocked down. Very, very sad. Um, but she was looking for primroses and she saw this old bloke because um, he was quite old by then. She was 44, I think, and he was in her 40s and he was in his 60s and said, excuse me, do you know where I can find some primroses? And um, anyway, he invited her in because uh, he had some in his garden. And they had a cup of tea, and that was that. And mum was born, I don't know, not that long after, but um, was a was a sort of an accident. Um, but again, you know, she um, had to muck in. I mean, it was a very sort of Spartan existence, uh, and there's no TV. Um, I don't think there was hot water actually when she was born. Um, you'd have to heat the water up on a on the fireplace, 
and um, the bath would have been put, a tin bath would have been put on the living room floor, and you had your bath in that way. And um, I think I remember when I was small, I think that happened to me when I was, I don't know how old I was, but quite small. Um, I just kind of like that sort of simplicity and um, and it's not that simple of course I'm sort of not not trying to over romanticize it but um, you know working close to the land and and eating food that you know has been well grown and healthily grown and there's no artifice to it um, I think has such an impact on your your health and there's no coincidence I don't think in terms of public health these days we're all getting a bit more susceptible to to things and um, you know we're eating food that isn't necessarily fully natural it's you know fertilizers produced in factories are not the same as composted um, cow manure in terms of fertility and keeping your vegetables nice and healthy so um, my great my grandfather would be my would be the person I'd like to meet and have spent much more time with because I'm sure he could have taught me a lot more about gardening and looking after the land and the link between that and health and um, hopefully what I do in my in my writing about uh, sort of biodynamic wine etc is um, trying to you know convince other people that we are what we eat and if you put healthy stuff into the soil and healthy stuff comes out of the soil pretty simple there you go that's my choice well that's it from me Arthur and my dad Monty Thanks for listening. Thanks, Arthur. And thanks to all our listeners that have stuck with us for the past few years. We look forward to the coming year and hope to keep providing content. Now, if you haven't already, please subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. And remember, if you notice that Italian Wine Podcast is not offered on your podcast platform of choice, please let us know so that we can make the connection. Thanks. Listen to all of our pods on SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify, Himalaya FM and on ItalianWinePodcast.com. Don't forget to send your tweets to at Podcast. Mm-hmm.